guys, welcome back to another episode of the Relegation Zone podcast. And it's becoming a common theme here, Lay. We have to start every single episode these days, it seems like, letting you celebrate another trophy win for Bayern. Um, I don't know. (laughs) This one probably ranks pretty low among their accomplishments of the past few months. But we'll go ahead and give you a few seconds top of the show. How does it feel to be, what do they call that, a UEFA Super Cup champion? Yeah, yeah, it feels pretty good. Four trophies in, in one year, that's nothing to complain about. But I don't know, I, once again, I kind of felt more relieved than excited. <laughs> well, I must confess, I didn't even watch it because I figured Bayern were just going to blow them out. Because I honestly was expecting, like, not 6-0, but Bayern to score more than they did. So for, for people like me who didn't watch, you know, lower scoreline than we're used to seeing from Bayern, did they were they looking a little sloppy? Were there somehow some nerves for a UEFA Super Cup final? Um, what what how was Byron looking? Yeah, it's probably the worst we've looked since Flick's been in charge. And we had a few missed opportunities. We had three goals or two goals disallowed. Uh, Robbie Taylor was the ref. If uh, if you get my drift there, um, but yeah, it just it wasn't the best performance by Byron. And to, all props to Sevilla. I think if we go just looking at the game and saying who played better football just being their own identity i think they played a lot better than us and it just came down to quality yeah well at the end of the day byron they do be having that quality though so (laughs) um, it was it was enough to power them through but in other news before we get into our uh, match recaps from the previous weekend a lot of transfer news to unpack here as we etch closer and closer to the october deadline day um couple of big moves for free and a lot of discussion um, about Barcelona here off the top. It seems like we've spent a lot of breath and time talking about Barca's moves in the transfer market this strange summer that we've had. But their, you know, summer of, well, wastefulness kind of continues here. So it broke, I think, yesterday, Luis Suarez to Atletico Madrid for free. Now, on the surface level, it doesn't look good. You let a guy who has been one of your top strikers for the past several years walk out on a free. Granted, he's definitely somebody that we knew Barcelona were looking to replace, but still letting somebody go for free is never a good sign, much less to a direct title contender and rival. What are your thoughts on, I guess, on two fronts? A, how much sense does this move make for Suarez? And then B, is there any excuse that can be made for Barca for letting this happen? Well, I think if you look at it from Atleti's side, it makes a lot of sense, especially for Suarez too. I mean, we talked about, we thought Edinson Cavani was going to be that experienced striker that they were going to bring in. That was kind of the rumor mill this summer. And they ended up getting Suarez, who I think you would agree is probably a better option for him. But as far as Barcelona dropping the ball here, I, I agree they probably could have got something a little more out of them. I don't think they handled the situation very well, but this is also a period for the club where they're really trying to change their wage structure. they got a lot of old players that are making a lot, young players with not on high wages. So I think this is just going to be a part of that where, yeah, we're just going to have to sacrifice a player like this to free up some things in the long run. And how do you see him fitting in at – Atletico because obviously they have Yao Felix who they're hoping becomes you know the new face of that attack for years to come but it seems like they prefer to play him 
alongside a beefier number nine, kind of like um, what they'd been doing um, with Diego Costa. Do you think Suarez plays a similar bruising sort of role like that? Or do you think we'll see him, you know, I never got to watch him too much at Barcelona because I'm not, as we've documented on this podcast very well, I'm not the biggest La Liga um, consumer, but do you think we see him play a similar, you know, Diego Costa sort of role there? Yeah, and it's interesting because you wouldn't really put Suarez. I know Atletico like to come out in that kind of four-four-two, and yeah, you're right. Had like the double striker partnership up top. Suarez is used to playing the single striker role and playing with a lot of fluidity in the front three. So I think that this move, rather than being the bruiser like you said that Costa was, I think this is going to be something where they just see people maybe uh, Suarez just taking players off of them and providing space for Jao Cancelo. I could see. Something where maybe, I'm sorry, not Jao Cancelo, Jao Felix. Uh, I could see a setup where maybe they go with like a 4-4 or 1-1 and have Suarez out in front with, with uh, Felix playing that kind of Mueller-esque second striker role. But yeah, I, I think it's a good move just for Suarez in terms of his career. Yeah, he, looking at his stats right now, despite definitely on the downturn in his career at the moment, you know, well over 30 years old, but did score 16 goals and also bagged eight assists in 28 La Liga appearances, as well as five goals and three assists in just seven Champions League appearances last year. So still has a lot to offer, especially for an Atleti side who, again, really needs help up top. I think this move makes a lot of sense for them. But one guy who was not so pleased about the departure, Lionel Messi posting an angry response on Instagram. I'm not sure exactly if it was a comment. Or, or what? I'm going to see if I can't get the exact quote in front of me. But basically something along the lines of, you know, he was upset that Barca's send-off for Suarez was kind of like just jettisoning him from the side when really he should have been t- treated um, like a club legend. So my question to you is then, once you, when you kind of take a look at his stats and how long he's been there and what they've accomplished, I, I mean, Suarez kind of is a Barcelona legend, really. I don't know where exactly he st- stacks up in the all-time um, list of, of top scorers at Barca, but it's got to be up there. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that the send-off was great. Part of that was because there were so many problems between him and the club with his contract and whether they were going to let him leave for free. Uh, but I think on the other side of this, too, just looking at it from for reasons they shouldn't have let him go. I mean, you're in a crisis mode right now where you want Messi to stay. Right now, you know he's probably only going to stay one year. But if you are doing anything to try to convince him that, hey, this is where you need to be, you would think that either A, keeping one of his longest friends in the club or at least giving him uh, the kind of send-off that he deserves to keep Messi happy at the least, you would think that would be something that would be on their minds, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, Messi's quote here, part of a much longer message, um, but one of you deserve to be sent off for what you are, one of the most important players in the club's history, achieving important things both as a group and individually, and not to be kicked out how they did it. But the truth is, at this point, nothing surprises me. So no secret um, that things are not looking up over at the Bernabeu. And just looking here at Transfer Market, Luis Suarez actually is the second highest goal scorer of all time for the club. <laughs> so, granted, everybody else is miles behind Messi at 634 goals, but Suarez the second with 195 is, is, you know, nothing to scoff at. Definitely, you would think, you know, I've been watching the Amazon series about Tottenham and them sending uh, Jan Vertonghen off. I mean, even he got like a signed 
photo and everything. And you got this, like a guy who's a, basically been a backup center back for the past three years. Whereas <laughs> a dude who's literally the second highest goal scorer in your club's history just gets the boot. What is it? David Silva has a statue at City too, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So not a lot of stuff making sense. And it's, just add Suarez's name to a list of Barcelona players that are leaving in some what has been a summer pretty bad business at a time when the club really needs to get things moving forward in a positive direction. You know, Arturo Vidal also in the past week making his departure from Barcelona official joining Inter for free. Then, again, a player that we've forgotten about, I certainly have because he hasn't really suited up for Barcelona in quite some time. But Arda Turan finally confirmed on a permanent deal out of Barcelona for just under a million pounds, and then Rakitic out for a similar figure. Now they have done a little bit better business in the form of Nelson Semedo. I know this is a guy that you're pretty high on. I can remember talking about him and his role when we were talking about Barcelona in the Champions League last year. Another, you know, Portuguese guy to Wolves. Like I know you're high on the Wolves Portuguese product or project that they're working on over here. What does he bring to that team, and and what are you know, I think this is a solid move for him to – I think he could really have a lot of success in the Premier League, especially with a team like Wolves. Yeah, well, he just never really fit the bill of what they were trying to do at Barca. Uh, he's one of those guys that really gets too far up ahead attacking and his defensive responsibilities kind of come just uh, second fiddle to what he needs to be. But I, I agree. I mean, they got a good – it's good for Barca because they got a good bit of money out of him, enough for them to buy a new fullback that can come in and kind of take that place. But also good for Semedo because – I know Wolves like to run that type of offense where uh, the fullbacks are tasked with providing that width and they have less of a responsibility because they play a back three. So that's, I think that not just positionally, Semedo fits better at Wolves, but also the Portuguese connection is always strong over there with the, you know. Yeah, I saw a really, a really funny um, meme of, I think, I forget what the guy's name was. It might have been like, Den Donker or just one of the non um, Portuguese yeah. guys just talking about like him sitting around in a room full of Portuguese dudes. just like <laughs> kind of funny that at a Premier League club that you have, like you're in the minority. It's almost seems like being English um, in that team. Now it makes a lot of sense them bringing in Nelson Semedo. Cause you remember they um, sold both Diego Hota, who can kind of line up in that sort of wingback role, as well as Matt Doherty to Spurs earlier right. in the year. And I think, as I was, I'm a big fan of Doherty, and I hate to see him go to Spurs because we know how I feel about Spurs as the resident <laughs> Arsenal fan. But as good as I think he is, it, I think it's undoubtable that Semedo is probably an upgrade if he can fit in well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Semedo just has a little bit more experience, he's a little older player. And I think, yeah, he's definitely going to drive a lot better with the seat in his team is than I think Darby did. Yeah. And rounding out here a little bit of our last few topics here on the transfer news, this was a subtle move and one that I really didn't notice and I wouldn't have noticed if Transfer Market hadn't made a post about it. But Diego Godin just kind of slipping out the back door at Inter after starting in 36 matches for the Nerazzurri last season, leaves for Cagliari on a three-year deal. Um, 34 years old center back, you know, a club legend at Atleti. And from what I could see watching Inter last season, had a really good year for them. They achieved a lot of things, finished second in the table. Um, you know, on the surface level, it's hard to make sense of this move from an Inter perspective. You know, letting a guy who played a lot of football for you last season and, you know, is an experienced defender go for nothing um, doesn't seem really to make a whole lot of sense, but. It sounds like, you know, just looking at the basics of the contract, 
Cagliari willing to offer him a three-year deal again at 34 years old. That's probably an offer that Inter weren't willing to match. So I bet it was more the case of Godin asking for more security, Inter being unwilling to do that, and then allowing him to go find that elsewhere. Yeah, and you may be able to speak on this. This is just a hypothesis by me. Do you think this might have been a play to show uh, us what's it all, what's Skriniar, to show Skriniar that he still has a place at the club? I know he didn't quite get as many starts towards the end of the season as he normally would. Do you think this Godin leaving opens the door for him to stay a little bit longer than Inter? Yeah, I don't think, you know, I think in a perfect world, Inter would have kept Godin. Um, but this certainly does open the door for more playing time for Skriniar. And now I think it's critical that Inter do hang on to him um, unless yeah. they're, you know, going to bring somebody else in late in the transfer window. But I would expect Skriniar likely to stay unless we see some craziness, you know, closer than we get to the deadline. But um Inter, of course, still in good position at the back as long as they do hang on to Skriniar because I think he will be important to him. But speaking of improving defenses, as amazing as Chelsea's transfer dealing has been all summer, the one thing you and I both kept harping on is they have to sign defenders. They have to sign a goalkeeper to shore up what was, quite frankly, just an awful defense last year. But just when it seems like Robin Abramovich has finally taken all the money out of his purse, he does it once again. Chelsea signing Eduard Mendy from Stad Ren, the goalkeeper, um, for 21.6 million pounds. I'm not exactly sure how old he is, but I'm pretty sure he's relatively young. Um, again, no secret that Keppa is not um, not Chelsea supporters' favorite player at the club um, since his big money move. I think that was, what, just a couple of seasons ago. Um, it's pretty clear that Chelsea look to move in a different direction, but do you think you know, Edouard Mendy starts for them like this weekend. Like how quickly do you think they make that change or will Kepa have one final chance to, to make his claim for that spot? I don't want to say that Kepa has a final chance to make the claim, but I don't know if Mendy will be ready this weekend. But I, I think also, cause Edward Mendy, he's actually 28 years old. So he's one of those oh, guys. Really? That I, yeah. So he's one of those guys that I think Chelsea probably thinks, listen, this dude has some experience. So he's just having experience. He's bound to be better than Kepa has. I mean, Kepa has been extraordinarily terrible. Yeah, I'm in a position, you know, kind of when Arsene Wenger was in his last couple of seasons with Arsenal and the performances the Gunners were putting out were pretty poor. And, you know, you saw a lot of Wenger out, but then a lot of rival supporters were Wenger in, all these signs you can see them <laughs> coming up. I'm big Kepa in. I, this move really hurts, yeah. <laughs> hurts me as an Arsenal fan. Um, I was hoping that we could see uh, Kepa stick around at the Stanford Bridge for a little bit longer, but I'm not going to pretend to know too much about Mindy. You know, as a 28-year-old who the highest he's ever been at a club is Stad Wren, you know, kind of makes you question his quality a little bit, but um, they need help at goalkeeper, and they seem to have got it at least, you know, until we'll see, we'll see what he how he looks when he, when he finally suits up for him anyway. All right, and then lastly, rounding out our transfer news. This one, not a confirmed deal like the others, but one that I've certainly been keeping a very close eye on as it is near <laughs> and dear to my heart. Hussam Awa, not Awar. I saw something on, on Instagram about like French guys or French people saying everybody's butchering his name. Apparently, you, you like basically don't pronounce the one consonant that's in his last name, just Awa, and that's <laughs> it. But he has been heavily, heavily linked to Arsenal as well as some other clubs throughout the summer. Um, and reports are that the Gunners are stepping up their interest ever so slightly 
they've tried a swap deal, as I understand, uh, with Ganduzi plus cash, but that um, you know Leon didn't really have any interest in Ganduzi, and the the director over at Leon insists that Arsenal quote cannot afford him or that they won't meet the fifty four million pound price tag that Leon are asking for, but. As we'll get into at the weekend, Arsenal did not look very good against West Ham. And part of that was the fact that they just lack a lot of creativity in the midfield, especially when they're running that sort of back four slash five um, that they've been trotting out under Arteta so far this season and at the end of last season. You know, when they go in that formation with just Shaka and Ceballos in the middle, they really could use somebody with, you know, a, crea- a bit of creative flair and an eye for an attacking pass. Um, to really facilitate the ball between the midfield and the final attacking third. And I think Aouar would be a huge improvement um, to the Arsenal side. Yeah, and he's also a player, uh, not to compare him directly to Thiago, but he's another one of those guys that's a real press breaker. You know, you have the confidence that he's going to retain the ball because his dribbling is phenomenal. And yeah, he is a creative outlet. So I think that would be a really big signing for Arsenal and probably a key player uh, in years to come. Yeah, my only question about this getting done is, of course, Arsenal did splash a lot of money um, in securing Nicola Pepe last season. I wonder if they just, especially given everything that's going on with COVID-19, if they have, you know, maybe the Lyon director is right. Maybe Arsenal just quite aren't in a position to spend that much money this summer. But I worry that if they don't get it done this summer, Arsenal are going to miss out because other top clubs are definitely circling, looking for his signature. Um, as well, so it'll. T- I think it'll take some sales from Arsenal, which we could potentially be seeing some by the next time we pod. Um, a lot of rumors floating around. I don't want to dive too deep into them, but likes of Lucas Torreira being linked with a move away, as well as the constant, you know, Ozil presence. Is he going to stay? What are they going to do with him? But with the transfer news wrapped up, Lathe, let's dive deep into the action at the weekend. We of course made our picks. From last week, I will give a brief recap of these to see um, where we stand as we describe some of these games. But going into last week, I think, yeah, I was up by one game. Or, yeah, I got six games right in the first week. You got five. But then last week, you did pretty well, especially in the games that we're going to discuss here. Um, But we both got Liverpool and, well, no, I take the back. You got Liverpool wrong, picking a 2-2 draw with Chelsea, which they, of course, did win. And we both got Real Madrid wrong as they kind of laid an egg against Real Sociedad going nil-nil. But as it stands, we are now dead tied on points. And we will definitely break down and as well as give our picks for the next weekend. But I want to look a little bit once again at Bayern's win over Sevilla. That was just one of the few. There weren't a whole lot of big games last weekend. I know that was on what, like Monday. Um, so I guess just a final take from you um, on that game. You know, what it was. Just, it was obviously not the greatest performance from Bayern. Is there? Do you think that this carries over at all? Like, who? Are, I don't know who they play next, but is the next four Bundesliga team they play about to get thrashed because of the way they kind of laid an egg against Sevilla? I think in terms of normal Bundesliga teams, yeah, Bayern. I mean, Bayern has the talent for that, but this game really worried me. I do want to start off on some positives, though. It was good to see this was Lucas Hernandez's second full game uh, with the club, and he looked really good, really, really good defensively. Uh, lacking a little bit in attack because we had to, we, we swapped him out for Alfonso Davies. And the reason for that was not because Davies was hurt, 
but it's because of the lack of depth that we've got currently. And it is a problem that they need to address. You know, throughout the Champions League, we had guys like Thiago, uh, Coutinho, and Perisic coming on to kind of keep and boost up that pressure on the wing. But uh, this game, we did not have anywhere near the depth. I mean, we had Quarantin Tolisso, who's very much a midfielder, coming on uh, in relief of Sané in like the 70th minute, which is just something that you don't want to see, especially against bigger European sides. So that was something that concerned me a little bit, as well as the fact that Sevilla, I know I highlighted earlier, they played this game really well tactically. They started pressing Bayern high, essentially playing the way Bayern does, and pressing the goalkeeper, which was a bigger problem than I anticipated because Bayern likes to start our attacks with the goalkeeper. Neuer kind of rolling the ball to the defense and then us distributing it that way. When they pressed him, he would just have to release long balls that ultimately didn't amount to anything other than a turnover. So I think this is going to be a real test to see Flick, who I know I've really... (laughs) I've really been Harper, or I've really been hyping him up the past couple of weeks as a good manager. I think the great managers, the way they separate themselves from the good managers, is when you take these different, te- when you see these tactics and you see the changes that go bad, and if you can adapt to that, and that's going to be a real test to see if what Flick has up his sleeve in that regard. Well, one manager who nobody really questions at this point. Um, his expertise and his ability. Jurgen Klopp, his Liverpool taking down Chelsea 2-0. I know that you and I were both really excited to see that result. We are, you know, not to say rooting against the Chelsea project here, but I think both of us would kind of like to see these transfers for Chelsea not just guarantee them, you know, a title this season would be nice, or at least a trophy. Um, so good for us to see Liverpool take them down 2-0. Um, I only caught bits and pieces of this game, but I know that Chelsea, um, they had a sending off right before halftime. I think um, Christensen with a with a red card challenge against Sadio Mane, taking him down outside the box when he was the last defender. And then after that, if you go a, a man down to Liverpool, Chelsea are honestly a bit fortunate it didn't get worse from there, I think. But um, again, another game in the Premier League, at least, without goals from Werner or from Havertz. Again, played the entire second half down a man. That really does change the way the team can play. But you and I, you picked a draw for Liverpool and Chelsea. So, you know, as somebody who expected them to do better than they did, you know, what where do you what are your thoughts on Chelsea's first big test against, you know, a team that they should be contending with this season for potentially a title? Yeah, my thought was that they weren't using Havertz correctly. They put him, you know, the first game they tried putting him out on the wing. He didn't have any impact on the game. We talked about that last pod. This time they tried to do something that I kind of hypothesized about a few weeks back and playing him as the main striker up front. And uh, that he doesn't play well there either. Now, the last game that Chelsea had, I know it was a, a weaker team against Barnsley, but Habits had a hat trick. And it was because they played him in that center attack of midfield role where he can kind of come in and poach goals, but also create his own chances. So I think that this is a matter of just Chelsea not figuring out the personnel of where they actually need to be and being early in the season. But I think once they get things set up, then they'll be much more uh, apt to compete on this level. Yeah, it's and we thought this would happen. You know, when you bring in six new attackers, or that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. When you bring in, you know, Zayic, Werner, Havertz, try to figure out how all these guys fit in, it's going to take some time for Lampard to figure out where exactly he needs to be playing these guys to get the best out of them. But, you know, it's a team a lot of people think. I mean, I know I said earlier on a previous episode that 
with all the money spent and the players they brought in, it should be a title challenge or bust, I think, for Chelsea and their first real chance to prove that they are one of the contenders did not go so well. Again, Liverpool, probably one of the best clubs. I mean, not even probably are one of the best clubs in the world and had Bayern not absolutely just beat the brakes off of everyone last season. You know, prior to that, Liverpool were considered by most to be the best team in the world. So, you know, can't be shocked that Chelsea didn't put up a better fight in this game. But if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm not concerned yet. Way too early to push any sort of panic button on the team. But I would have liked to see a bit more of a fight. But granted, there was a red card and that always changes things. Yeah, and Ziyech hasn't even made his debut yet. So I think that's another thing that they can look forward to. You know, I hype him up a lot. I, I think, didn't we have an argument a few weeks back over who we felt like was going to be the biggest impact transfer of this, like, Chelsea just squad? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think he's someone that is going to change a lot of the dynamics within the team, and he's really going to help uh, Lampard know where everybody slots in. Yeah. On the whole, not a brilliant weekend for the London sides, but at least for Arsenal, despite um, what I will say was a not terrifying performance, but lucky to get away with a 2-1 win over West Ham. Goals coming from Lacazette, who has opened his account pretty nicely to start the 2020 campaign with two goals so far in two matches. But they get a 2-1 win thanks to a late Enketia goal. Um like in the 80-something minute. I can't remember exactly. Um, but again, as we mentioned in the transfer segment, Arsenal, especially against these smaller clubs um, that are really going to sit deep in a defensive block and force Arsenal to break them down, Arsenal at the moment just don't have the creativity to really break teams down in possession. We've seen how deadly they can be on the counterattack. Last season, Aubameyang, Tierney, and the crew tore Manchester City and Liverpool and Chelsea apart on the counter, but those are big clubs who are going to bring the game to you. Arsenal, if they really want to challenge for top four and for other silverware this season, they've got to find a way to consistently take the game to these smaller teams. And that's where I think they need the help of somebody like Alwar. Um, and again, you know, giving up a goal against West Ham, I was really hoping for a back-to-back clean sheets. That would have been a nice way to start the season. Um, but again, a win is a win. Arteta in the post-match, you know, he honestly – I was gave the perfect response, I thought, and one that I was really glad to hear from a fan's perspective. You know, he said, we're happy with the win. It was a grinded out win. But first and foremost, we have issues that we've got to fix. Because the last thing you want to hear from your manager is, oh, well, we won, so everything's fine, when things are not fine in that Arsenal midfield at the moment. So hopefully um, he and the board can get together and figure out a way whether or not that's bringing somebody new in changing tactics up a little bit we'll see but it's still full-on in Arteta we trust well you know I I kept track of the last couple Arsenal games and I know for a while he kind of experimented with formations but it seems like he's kind of found a a steady I guess a steady grouping with that 3-4-3 do you do you see this being a formation that he sticks through for the majority of the season or do you think he's going to continue to experiment around a little bit yeah so I mean, it all eventually comes down to the health of the back line at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen David Luiz has been out with like a neck injury on um, the past few games, but hopefully we'll be seeing him back in the fold relatively soon. But because really, I think the formation for Arteta comes down to who he has available at center back because, you know, you got some new faces in William Saliba who has yet um, to make his Premier League debut, but that should be coming relatively soon. Um, Gabriel Magalesh, who has looked pretty good through two games, but again, 
a brand new guy to the club, relatively young guy too. Don't want to put too much pressure on him. So with the lack of experience um, and for lack of a better word, confidence at the back, you know, Rob Holding has been getting starts as of late too. He really favors this three center back setup where, you know, they have more to fall back on. Um, but I think in the long run, Arteta would prefer to kind of build Man City 2.0 over at Arsenal, which requires going back to that back four to play that really fluid, um, almost positionless style um, with those guys. But until we see, I think, the return of David Luiz to health and hopefully Saliba nailing down a spot in this team, I think we'll see him stick with a back three, um, especially with Tierney being out as a late scratch before West Ham 2. That didn't help either because – when you have a defense that has Sad Kolasinac in the team, you got to get as much help back there for him as you can. So I don't blame him for making that move in this game. But, I mean, he's proven that it works against the big clubs. That formation certainly does. And it, and it is a back five in defense, but a back four in attack, really. So we'll see you know, what he continues to do because he's still got to figure out a lot of stuff. This Arsenal team is going to change a lot um, in the next calendar year for sure. But – Last weekend recap before we move on to the games upcoming. Real Madrid, a surprisingly poor start to the La Liga campaign for them. A nil-nil draw with Real Sociedad. I, of course, did not watch this match, so we won't be diving into the uh, nitty-gritty details of this one. But, you know, you and I both picked Real Madrid to take the La Liga crown this season and for most part because they retained basically – all of their starters, as they had a f- strong campaign last year, they are the defending champs. And again, Barca is kind of a raging dumpster fire at the moment. But, Leith, is it an overreaction to already have some slight concerns about Real going into the season? Or is this nil-nil just a sign of rust, you know, got to get back into the swing of things? I want to say, logically, I want to say that it's a sign of rust. Just because there's a lot of, I mean, they had Odegaard. I think they started him. I read something about that. And that's just going to mess with your team chemistry. Obviously, that's just kind of uh, the, the wrinkles that you got to go through the first couple of weeks. But I do think it's a little early to say that, oh, they, they're not going to be quite as dominant as they were last year. But, yeah, there's a lot of new faces there, not from signings, but just from loans returning and kind of figuring out what they will, kind of play style they want to do. So, I think it's safe to say that they'll be on the right path, and this is probably just a rough patch. Yeah, coming up next, let's see if I can get their fixture list in front of me. Um, Barcelona, of course, having their match week one this weekend, but Real Madrid not going to get too much easier. They draw Real Betis um, for this weekend, so we'll have to see what they do against them. But going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be looking into the top leagues. Again, sorry, France, you don't count. And looking at the big uh, games for this weekend, and we'll again provide an update on our picks as well as make our new ones for the weekend. Later, going down. Okay, so last week, late going into that stretch of matches, I was up on one game. And if you are for whatever reason picking up this podcast for the first time on this episode, um, at the beginning of the season, late and I decided every single week we are going to pick the results for eight games from the upcoming weekend from Europe's top leagues, excluding league on. But after week one, I was up on one game and I think what we decided on late is going to do kind of a point system. So we pick each the winner of the game as well as the score line. So one point, I believe I said for picking a correct result 
and two points for picking the correct result with um, the correct scoreline. So, for instance, last week I picked Manchester City to win, but I also picked them to beat Wolves 3-1, which did happen. But you got the better of me on the accuracy, unfortunately, last week. So the games we picked from last week, Chelsea-Liverpool, you had a 2-2 draw, and Liverpool wins 3-2. Wolves-Man City, you also had a 2-2 draw. That was inexplicable. Like, dude, they're definitely going to beat Wolves. <laughs> Man City win 3-1. I get the bing-bing double points with the correct scoreline. Then we both got Dortmund over Munchen Gladbach. Um, don't know what they actually won by, but Dortmund did win. We both picked them to win 2-1. Then Milan and Bologna. I picked Milan to win begrudgingly at 1-0. I hoped they kind of were honestly going to lose. That would have been exciting for me as an Inter fan. But <laughs> you got the big double points predicting a 2-0 win, which they did secure. Um, then we both got Real Madrid and Sociedad horribly wrong. I had them winning 3-0, U 3-1. Then both got Bayern right. Not nearly enough goals in it. We picked 4-0 and U 3-0, but I forget. What it ended up with? 6, 7? It was 8. <laughs> Yeah, eight. There you go. So, and then lastly, last two matches here, I had Tottenham drawing against Southampton, which that did not happen. Saints um, lost to Spurs. Um, so you got to win for that. And then in the last game of the week, which honestly I had no preference in this one, I literally didn't know anything about either of these teams, but Fiorentina and Torino, I predicted a 1 1 draw. You, this had to be blind luck, but got it right on with a 1 0 win for Fiorentina. But, <laughs> hey, man, what do you call it luck? I got some skills. Yeah, okay. Name three players on, on Fiorentina then. Hey, Ribri, uh, Federico, Chiesa. Mm, yeah, you uh -huh. got me, Dave. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. exactly. Three, I didn't pick three out of my, you know, crack there. I, I knew I knew you could get those two, but nobody else. Um, <laughs> all right, but as we look ahead to this weekend, we've got some big matches here, and I'm trying to keep it um, – so, we're, again, we're doing the top four leagues here, eight matches, trying to pick two from each league. Of course, if there's ever some special circumstances with three huge games in one league, um, we can make adjustments there. But first up, Manchester City and Leicester, two of the top sides from the Premier League last season. Lay, how do you see that one shaking out? Mm, I see uh, Manchester City victory 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. I, of course, have already made all my picks, um, but I will wait to hear, hear yours each time but i have manchester city also winning um three one next in the syria ah enter my boys making their debut in the syria for, the first, for this season this is their first match um against fiorentina a team you correctly picked to win last week don't think that's going to happen again but how do you see that one shaking out i think the enter is going to win this one three one but i am predicting that rivery will put away the only goal for fiorentina Okay, I like this challenge for Inter to start it. Um, not a, not a, you know, a lay down sort of team Fiorentina. I think they're a team that will challenge for potentially a Europa League spot in Serie A. But this will be a good test for this Inter team, and hopefully we get to see Ashraf Hakimi. I'm about to say strong debut for him. You think? Huh? I didn't hear you. Strong debut for Hakimi. You think he's? We'll see. You know, I don't know if Conte. You know, with with the new. With new signings, you know, you never actually know if they're going to play in that first game because, again, we haven't seen Saliba really yet for Arsenal. Um, so I don't really know. But, again, I cannot wait to see how he's going to shape up for Inter because I just think he's tailor-made for that team. So hopefully a strong debut. But I'm not going to guarantee just because I don't know if Conte is actually going to start him in this first game. We'll just have to see. Next, staying in Italy, Roma-Juve. What you got? Ooh, uh, 
see. Rome has done some moves, but I think Juve probably got it 2-0. Yeah, Juve with a strong performance in their first match, winning 3-0 over Sampdoria. Um, moving on to Spain, Real Madrid and Real Betis, as we brought up earlier. Back-to-back, sort of a tough, tough first stretch of games for y'all to open the season. Can they rebound after what was a poor performance in a nil-nil draw in week one? I think they do rebound, and I think they rebound big with a 4-1 win. 4-1. Also, I've totally been forgetting to uh, put my scores in here as well. Um, I also have Inter winning 2-0, Juve 2-1, and you have 4-1 for Real Madrid. I, too, think they're going to rebound, but maybe not that hard. I like 3-1 there. Um, our second game coming out of La Liga, Barca's first match of the season, Barca against Villarreal. Unai Emery and co, can they upset Barca, Lay? What do you think? Uh, it's going to be close, but I think this is another 3-2 win for Barca. 3-2, yes. I have 2-1, but yes, I agree. They'll concede, I think. Um, it's yeah. going to take some getting used to under Ronald Koeman. And Villarreal are quietly one of the most improved teams, I think, in the offseason. Um, and they had a pretty strong start to the season last week, winning 2-1 over Ibar. But yeah, I think Barcelona... Surely not. Surely they don't lose that one. As long as Messi's there, you got to make them the favorites. Moving to your preferred league, the Bundesliga, land of the strange hype commercials. I'm sure there's a hype commercial <laughs> for this game. Leverkusen and RB Leipzig. What does the post-Timo Werner era look like for the energy drink side? How do you see that one going? Uh, I think it's also the post-Kai Havertz era for uh, Leverkusen. So I think that's going to be more missed than Timo. So I'm going to go with a 3-1 win for Leipzig. Big win for the fans. I also like Leipzig, but 2-0. Um, just have too much talent on that team, even losing Werner, Marcel Sabitzer, and company. They'll get the job done. Um, had to do a bit of a reach here for another good game out of the Bundesliga. They, of course, only have 18 teams. So by default, you know we get um, one less game per weekend from that league. But, yeah, not not a, a great weekend for big matches there. So reach for Hertha Berlin and Eintracht Frankfurt. Late, what you got? Ooh, Hertha Berlin and Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Frankfurt. Frankfurt usually finds a way. Uh, I'm going to go 1-0. Right. Our first disagreement. I was hoping we were really going to have one because it's not all that entertaining if we all pick the same <laughs> team. But I actually have Hertha for no other reason than – isn't Piatek back there? Yeah, he is. That's a good point. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope it is. What, uh, sorry, what was your score prediction again? I said 1-0. 1-0 to Frankfurt. All right, and then lastly, by far and away, the matchup of the weekend. Liverpool-Arsenal. Don't break my heart, Lay. We can lose. Just don't, don't give me a terrible scoreline here. You know what? I'm... Oh, man, y'all beat them last time, though, right? Yeah. Well, they're going to be hungry. I'm, I'm going to go with a 3-1, another 3-1 win. Mm, mm, that's tough, man. You don't have more respect for I, I wanted to go 2-1, but they're going to be hungry after that loss. Okay, I wouldn't be shocked, again, coming from an Arsenal fan here, so preface it with that. Would not be shocked if we actually see another Arsenal win because, man, Arteta just really seems to have figured out how to play against the big teams. But I'm unwilling to put my money where my mouth is on that one. I'm actually going to predict what I still think is an optimistic result, a 2-2 draw for my boys. So 
you and I here really only have two disagreements, and it's in the last two games we picked. I have Hertha over Eintracht, Frankfurt uh, 2-1, whereas you have Frankfurt getting win 1-0. And then I predict a draw in the match of the week, Liverpool and Arsenal, and you like Liverpool 3-1. So mostly this week, I think it's going to come down to if any of us can correctly predict the scorelines of a lot of these, because we have one, two, three, four, five, six games where we both have the same winner. So it'll all be about the double points. I'm actually going to change my pick from Frank from Lefer to Frankfurt to go three one because uh, that game has already happened. I think. I think it's. Oh. I don't. I don't see it on the schedule. Let's see real fast. Hold on. Bundesliga. Okay, keep in mind I also made this list on like Tuesday, so. <laughs> yeah, it did happen already. Well, we're going to scratch that. Technically, we could stick with our picks that we originally made because we hadn't either saw that, but that involves me taking an L. So let's see. Leith, I'll give you the pick. The uh, other games we can choose from for the weekend. Mönchengladbach, Union Berlin, Augsburg, Dortmund, Armenia, FC Köln, Mainz, Stuttgart, Hoffenheim, Bayern, Schalke, Werder, and Freiburg, Wolfsburg. Hmm. I think Freiburg, Wolfsburg could be interesting. Yeah, I kind of like that one too. That's the one I was looking at. All right, who do you want there? I'm going to go on a 1-1 uh, one, one draw. All right, he likes the 1-1. One, one. I'm going to take Freiburg outright 1, actually 2-1, for no other reason than I think their logo with the Vulture is really sick. Okay. <laughs> That is our picks for the week. And again, we are going into week three tied. It's a long season, nothing to, to stress over too much um, if we have a, a stretch of poor results. But um, I think whoever can leave here, potential for a big gap um, if we can get some score lines right. Um, but thanks so much, guys, for listening. That'll just about wrap things up for us here on this episode. As always, be sure to check us out on wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, is Amazon? No, I don't even think they have podcasts. But if they did, we'll find a way to get it on there. Um, and again, we have an Instagram page that we hardly ever update. But if you want to check it out, it has some cool stuff on there at Relegation Zone on Instagram. Um, also, be sure to reach out to us uh, on Twitter. Interact with us again. We should have some more posts going up. It's just, man, it's kind of hard to to keep track of all this stuff now that football season is way back into swing. But um, again, thanks so much for listening. and Lathe, You've been pretty poor with the last words as of late. So deliver <laughs> us one here as we sign off. Ah, Ribery Balloon d'Or 2021. It's going to happen. That's just cap.